Today on Ag News Daily. I just can't explain being in a beehive. It's like being really close to God. You're just uh, you're just seeing something that's happened for millions of years, and it's fun to watch in on their world. Good afternoon, listeners. It's Ashton Delaney and Mike here. How how are you guys doing today? Doing well. It's another hot one here in central Iowa. Some thunderstorms rolled across the state overnight. Now we're seeing another batch of thunderstorms moving through again. Gosh, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Minnesota. I saw the southern Minnesota counties kind of got hammered yesterday with some severe weather. I tell you what, those folks in that part of the country just can't catch a break, Delaney. Yeah, you know how what's a sign that you're getting old, Mike? What's that? Uh, when you have nothing better to talk about than the weather. <laughs> well, no, or maybe kidding. your living depends upon the weather. I and know. Then it's, I'm just you know. teasing. I always yeah. just like make fun of, you know, like grandparents and parents when they just get together and they talk about the weather or their ailments. And it's like, oh, I guess that's what we talk about now. Is that a sign that I'm getting old? Yes, it is. I like talking about the weather. (laughs) We get older one day at a time. It happens to everybody if uh, things go well. Yeah, nice. Well, I tell you what, Delaney, that's what's going on there. What's happening in the world of agriculture? Yeah, well, I was going to say it's also post-election day. So we had um, primary elections last night for those of you who got out there and voted. I thought this was kind of a big upset, at least here in the state of Iowa. But Representative Steve King, who's a Republican, who's been known to say some racially charged remarks, lost his re-election bid last night. He is one of the biggest districts in, I believe, the country, definitely the biggest district in Iowa, one of the most agriculturally productive districts. And he was defeated last night by Randy Feenstra. So this is kind of a big upset here in the state, especially. Yeah, it is. You know, it was one of those things that was being watched by national news organizations watching by or being watched by all of the political parties. But yeah, uh, Steve King going down pretty substantially in the primary against mm-hmm. uh, Randy Feenster, lost 36 to 46. And uh, now we'll go up in the general, presumably against J.D. Schultz. I assume I don't think he's challenged on the Democratic side. So he will be the uh, the competitor. And, and I know both he and Randy have different takes on agriculture. Mm. district. You know, I know the cattle market has certainly had some folks fired up this year. Um, You know, there's two very different outlooks for agriculture running in that district, which I believe is the fourth most productive agricultural district in the country. Yeah, fourth most. I think, I mean, I think it varies, but I think on average, yes, that sounds right. Yeah. Well, yeah, that is certainly interesting. Uh, Ashton, what are you watching today? So this is kind of in addition to the state fair shutdowns that I had mentioned last week, I believe. Um, So Wisconsin canceled their state fair and the Wisconsin Cattlemen's Association and the Wisconsin Pork Association are expecting a decrease in their budget for legislative and membership activities due to that cancellation. And the Pork Association generates around $50,000 at their pork shop while the Cattlemen's Association generates about 250000 through their state trailer during the state fair. And I read that the state trailer is the largest non-alcoholic food vendor at the Wisconsin State Fair. And so both associations say the loss won't change the promotions that are paid for by checkoff dollars, but they will have to tighten up spending and focus on legislative efforts and membership growth. And these cancellations are sad for exhibitors as they're not getting to go and show their animals and enjoy the fair. But you 
you also have to look at, you know, the big picture on who else is hurting from the state fairs being closed. It's, it's like a domino effect. And I understand the caution and need for the cancellations, but it's something that I've never seen in my days of raising livestock. So I can't imagine, you know, how other vendors are going to be affected by those cancellations. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm really interested you brought that up. I hadn't considered losses to our ag organizations, but of course they have a huge presence at all those state fairs. That makes a lot of sense, Ashton. I know. And, and they are, they said that they're trying to focus more on membership growth. That way they can get some of those dollars back in their budget. But with the Cattlemen's Association, they raise a gross revenue of $250,000. And so it's just incredible to me that they're, that portion of their budget is just going to be completely missing this year. You know, and I wonder, and this might be something we can dig into as the summer rolls along, just how many pork loins, pork tenderloins, giant turkey legs, and uh, other ag products are consumed at state fairs that won't have an outlet this year. Well, it's so interesting you say that, too. I was talking to a friend who sits on the Iowa Pork Producers board or committee. I'm not sure exactly if she's a board level or just committee member, but she's part of the state fair committee. and here in the state of Iowa, we don't really have a decision yet on if we're having a state fair or not, but they have to usually order massive amounts of pork in advance of the state fair to make sure they have enough pork burgers or or uh, pork loins, etc. She said they've been pushing it off and pushing it off and pushing it off, and pretty soon they're going to get to a point here where they won't be able to fulfill those massive order amounts that they're going to even need. Right. Yeah, that's the logistical challenges alone are going to be a headache. That's for sure. Yes, absolutely. Well, and actually, speaking of logistical challenges, there was an ag sector that was pummeled with logistical challenges last year, kind of above and beyond most of what conventional row crops saw. And that was the sugar beet industry, the exact same factors that are slowing down the planting progress up in North and South Dakota and Western Minnesota hampered the sugar beet harvest. And last year was catastrophic for a lot of beet cooperatives. This year, uh, COBEC, the one of the largest ag banks, their knowledge exchange division, which is their kind of research department, they put out a new study and they said, and this is a big caveat, they said, quote, assuming we return to reasonably normal harvest weather this fall, expectations are for a much bigger crop to be harvested for the 2021 season. It's coming from Tanner Emke, who we've had here on the podcast. He said, with processors contracting refined sugar at much higher prices, fortunes are expected to turn favorable for growers and processors in the marketing year ahead. And, you know, that is good news, I think, for a lot of those co-ops and growers that really struggled last year. And in fact, in some cases, still have beets out in the field or, you know, what's left of beets underground in the field. Um, but gosh, they've still got to get those beets in and then uh, stuff to make it through harvest, which this year is, it's still a long ways away, but gosh, it's mm-hmm. not looking great this early in the year. No, it's certainly not. And I think a lot of farmers are sitting in the same boat and quite a few farmers, segueing off that, quite a few farmers are worried about their crop this year because of the pandemic trade impacts. I mean, there are a lot of moving parts here already mid halfway through uh, 2020, but Purdue and the CME group put together one of their monthly producer sentiment reports and two thirds of the farmers reported back saying that they believe the CFAP payments 
more CFAP payments will be necessary to continue on. Another 70% of farmers said that they are worried or fairly worried about the pandemic's impact of their farm's profitability for this year. And some 81% of farmers surveyed said in May that they were very concerned or somewhat concerned about the ethanol industry. That's coupled with a recent analysis put together by Kansas State University that said without special government aid coming in this year like CFAP, they had projected net income for the average farm to plunge about $14,000 this year, down from $110,000 in 2019. Um, But this analysis, of course, doesn't take into account that new CFAP program, which, of course, signed up, started last week. But yeah, I mean, I think the sentiment is still, you know, we were expecting to have maybe somewhat of a pickup year here in farm country. And now it seems we're going to have another down year in the ag cycle. Yes. However, you touched on something that might be an indication of perhaps green shoots emerging from the barren wasteland that is commodity market pricing. And that was a report from the Energy Information Agency earlier today. They reported that oil production here in the U.S. fell last week to 11.2 million barrels per day. Still huge numbers, but down to the lowest levels since October of 2018. You know, I bring this up as being green shoots because theoretically less oil production will lead to less distillate production, which includes gasoline and diesel and all the other, you know, Jet A things that come from crude oil. And as we draw down those gasoline stockpiles, we should see the price of Arbob, which is the, uh, the gasoline, how that's traded, start to climb, which makes ethanol more competitive. However, don't uh, you know? take your shirts off yet, everybody, and jump around in excitement because this same report showed that those distillate stockpiles are at the highest on record. So we do have, uh, I think, quite a hill to climb over before we start to see some, some real enthusiasm in the ethanol industry. But we are continuing to see production ramp up, and hopefully those bids will continue to, to firm up across the Midwest. Yeah, that would be the hope. And I think we're also watching the oil industry to see how they recover from their massive declines. But yeah, good points you make there, Mike. Ashton, before we jump into the markets, do you have any other news stories you're keeping an eye on? I don't. Perfect. Well, let's see where we wrapped up today. It was kind of a back and forth day in the grain markets, though we did end almost entirely either unchanged or in the positive. The lone exception was July corn closed down a quarter cent to 324 even. December new crop unchanged on the day, finished at 338 even. Beans were one of the big movers today. July old crop beans up seven cents at 857 and a half. November new crop up five and three quarters at 866 and a quarter. Chicago wheat also found some reason to bounce back, although it did close off its earlier highs. The July contract was up four and a quarter cents at five. 512 and a quarter. December new crop up three and a quarter to finish at 526 and a quarter. Looking over at the world of livestock, again, kind of a turnaround Wednesday for livestock. Started out lower, turned around midday, and powered into the close. June live cattle, well, we'll skip June. I mean, it's up 15 cents, but who cares? We're coming on to the end of that one. August contract up $1.15 at 97.35. The October up 55 cents at 99.97 half. In feeder cattle, the August contract up 80 cents on the day at 134.22 half. September up 87.50 at 135.77 and a half. The only market that has continued to see weakness is lean hogs. We've got the front month June down $3.75. That is the limit. Closed today at $48.65. July down $1.40 
at 53.47 and a half. Looking at the dairy market, is that rally continuing in dairy? And oh, yes, it is. June class three milk futures up 29 cents, closed the day at 1989. Earlier in the day, they did hit a high of $20 even. The July contract up 48 cents at $18.74. That's where the market's wrapped up for the day. Let's jump into our interview for Wednesday. Hey guys, when I'm not hosting Ag News Daily, I'm helping out with Iowa Farm Bureau's Spokesman Speaks podcast. If you're from Iowa, you're probably familiar with the Spokesman newspaper, which has the largest readership of any ag newspaper in the state of Iowa. The Spokesman Speaks podcast is essentially an extension of that newspaper, reaching farmers and ag professionals like you on the go with the stories that matter most. In this week's podcast episode, I'm very excited because we take on the question that is absolutely top of mind right now for livestock farmers. As meat processing plants struggle to keep up with farmer demand, where can farmers turn to market their livestock? For answers, we turn to Terry Kearns, who's the co-owner of Eastern Iowa's popular Edgewood Locker, and Dr. Katherine Polking, who is the Bureau Chief for the Iowa Department of Agriculture's Meat and Poultry Inspection Bureau. You can find and subscribe to the Spokesman Speaks podcast in your favorite podcast app, or go to iowafarmbureau.com slash podcast. Today, we have Paige Nestor of Creek House Honey Farm to talk to us about her journey as well as her husband's on operating a honey farm in West Texas. Paige, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. You're welcome. (laughs) Alrighty. So like I said, we are with Creek House Honey Farm. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about your background as well as George's and how Creek House Honey got to be? Okay. Um, so I taught school for almost 20 years. Um, I was a science teacher and an art teacher with a biology background. And uh, George is a pharmacist or was a pharmacist. And um, he's been doing that for about 15 years. So Creek House Honey Farm started about 12 years ago. We, um, we just wanted a hobby to do with our kids, something fun. We, we have a garden. We had a pumpkin patch at the time that the kids uh, raise money for their college funds. And, um, I just had been reading about the plight of bees and how they were in trouble. And and I thought, you know, this might be really fun to get into. So I talked him into it. He didn't really want to, (laughs) and I talked him into it and we got, uh, we got one hive that first year, but it came in half dead. The queen was still viable. So the the company was really great. And they ended up sending us a new hive. So we ended up with two the first year. And we absolutely fell in love with it. Uh, I just can't explain being in a beehive. It's like being really close to God. You're just, um, you're just seeing something that has happened for millions of years. And it's fun to watch in on their world. Um, I don't know. It, it's really cool. And so we just started like that. That's a really neat story, Paige. And I think a lot of people appreciate bees because they do so much for pollination and otherwise and provide such tasty treats. But 
do did you and your husband have any sort of farming or agriculture background? And I assume that you had to move to a farm or you lived on a farm or an acreage or somewhere out in the country <laughs> to have bees, right? Yeah. Well, you know, you can actually have beehives in town. That's not a big deal. Okay. As long as you keep up with them. Um, we actually are very lucky. His grandfather was a doctor in town and they owned a hundred acre farm where uh, the creek house, that's where our name comes from, uh, Sid. They built a little creek house to get away from his practice in town. That's where they came out to rest and relax. They had a big garden. It's really not a farm. It's just a hundred acre pasture mainly. Um, and we were able, when his grandmother was still alive, to acquire a little bit of land and build a house out here. And so we put in a big garden. We put in that big pumpkin patch. But we are definitely not farmers. We never were. Um, but that's how we were able to maintain and keep all of our beehives now. And it really is a working farm now. So Paige, earlier you mentioned that you taught for a while and I saw on your website that you're kind of doing some education at Creek House. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about your tours and all of that good stuff? Okay. Um, so yeah, my, my teaching, it runs thick in my blood. My mom was an art teacher. Uh, we have several teachers in the family, but I really couldn't get away from it. I wanted to educate people mainly about bees and the importance. And, you know, we just went through COVID and I think a lot of, and we're still going through it, but a lot of people until this pandemic hit, haven't realized what grocery stores would look like empty. And we keep, you know, we've preached to people a long time about how if we didn't have bees, a third of our crops would go away. You know, so I tell people now you, you walk in, there's no toilet paper, no paper towels, no cleaning supplies. But imagine walking into the grocery store and the food sources are gone. Uh, we wouldn't have cherries. We wouldn't have apples. We wouldn't have almonds. We wouldn't have coffee. I mean, those are things you really have to sit and think. Could I go today without a cup of coffee? Some people couldn't. Um, so we have to have those pollinators to have all of our food. And then it affects the livestock too because of alfalfa hay. So even meat would be in trouble. Um, so there's a lot of things that it could cause a bad chain reaction if we didn't have them. And we love teaching kids and kids are the future. So when we go to schools and do outreach or they come on a field trip to the farm, the kids seem to understand and get it. And they go home and they tell their parents about it. And that's just where it starts. And and that's what we love. Yeah, I think that's really neat and a, a cool message to be able to share with people about bees' importance. But when you look at when you guys were first starting out, and even now, how difficult was it to learn about bee production? I've always been fascinated by it, and I think it's really neat. But I, to be honest, don't know a ton about what it takes to start a bee farm. <laughs> yeah, well, first it takes interest. I would say, you know, if you've got an interest, get a hive and go for it. it it's so fun. But it does take a lot of work on our part. Um, we, we don't do a ton of pollination services. Um, we do some. We did a sunflower pollination contract last summer, and we've got a watermelon pollination contract for this summer. So we're starting a little bit. But we have to work with those farmers. They're going to spray pesticides. They're going to spray herbicides. And we have to know, you know what, what the timing is on that, when it's safe for our bees to come in and work the fields. Um, you know, when is the crop going to bloom? When's the best time to have them there? Uh, there's a lot of factors that go into pollination. If you're doing backyard beekeeping, you know, and 
you live in town, it's really the best place to do it because of all of people's yards and their flower beds. And there's, there's going to be food sources out there. Now, are you going to know if your neighbor is spraying? Probably not. Um, but that's when you would go and have a chat. Uh, bees fly two to four miles to forage. So um, they're going to fly further than you think to gather that nectar source or that pollen source. It takes about 4.5 million flowers to make one pound of honey. And that's about 16 ounces. So it takes a lot more than what most people think. You know, people think, well, I have a lot of land and it may be out, out in like bushland or, you know, I don't know, surrounding area that has a lot of grassland, but not a lot of flowering plants that they would need. Now, if you have a cotton field, you've hit the jackpot because they love cotton. So we have definitely had to educate ourselves on, you know, what flowering plants are they going to get a lot of nectar off of? What is a good pollen source? Because the pollens are protein and some, some are great sources of protein and some aren't, just depending on what the plant provides. Well, Paige, it sounds like you've done a fantastic job on starting this business and educating yourselves. I am in Lubbock, and so I definitely think I'm going to have to make a trip out there to Canada to see <laughs> you guys sometime. Absolutely. Come on down. We Not only do we do that, but we also do our own line of skincare, um, and it's all bee-based products. We do beeswax, uh, chopsticks. We have lotions. We have healing agents that really work. Um, but we make all those on site. We use all the products from the hive to do them with. Even our sugar scrubs have honeycomb in them. So um, that's that's another aspect of our business. We also have our uh, meadery or our wine, winery that's open. That we serve honey wine or mead. So we have a lot of things going on out here. <laughs> wow, sounds like you've got your hands full out there. <laughs> we do. We have a lot going on. Well, Paige, I just want to thank you for coming onto the podcast today and sharing your little bit of heaven out there. And where can our listeners uh, keep up with your your farm? Okay, so um, we have a couple of websites. You can go to creekhousehoneyfarm.com or you can go to honeybuzzwinery.com. Both of those up and running. Um, if you're interested in our our honey, we do ship it. Uh, we ship it. We also ship our skincare. Um, if you're interested in just coming for a bee tour, those are happening now twice a week. We've limited the number of participants because of COVID, but um, we're being really safe. We had one this morning that was really fun. Those are on Wednesday and Friday mornings. Those are also on creekhousehoneyfarm.com. Um, you can go in and, and sign up. If you want to schedule something private, we, rec- we um, ask that you have at least 10 people to do those, um, but it's doable. So... We have a lot of fun things. We have a lot of outdoor games around the farm where you can come and just sit on the porch and have a glass of mead and let your kids play. So there's quite a few things to do out here. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Paige. And we look You're forward very welcome. to maybe getting out there sometime. sometime. Yeah, come on down. We have a lot of people from Lubbock come, so we'd love to have you. <laughs> Big thanks again to Paige and George and Esther for giving us a look into Creek House Honey Farms. And if you guys venture out over to Canyon, Texas and go take a look, be sure to let us know on social media at Ag News Daily. Absolutely. You can also visit our website at agnewsdaily.com to get caught up on any past episodes you may have missed or to learn about the other podcasts that are part of the Global Ag Network. With that, Delaney Howell, shall we let the people go? Let's let them go.